this week on the Divided Opinion Podcast. I wondered if, the, if you thought there was any truth to the fact that people have been saying that Pep overthinks the Champions League. He has turned into Real Madrid's new new Cristiano Ronaldo, hasn't he? In a way, like he's he is the heir to that throne, and who would have thought it at his age as well? I think he's touching on thirty four now. I mean, I think he's got the whole he's got the makeup to be a brilliant player and a world class forward. I don't really know what we'd call him. I wouldn't call him a false nine, really, but. I mean, the more you speak about it, the worse Lampard comes off. Because (laughs) why hasn't he done that? Going into any line of work, and you can't tell me that just playing football puts you in good stead to be a manager. I don't agree with that one one minute. So, Westy, who are going to win the league? Hello and welcome back to season three, episode three of the Divided Opinion podcast. This is the show where we discuss everything within the world of football and discuss, debate with unparalleled insight and analysis from two football fans with divided opinions and that other football fan. Well, I'm Joel. I don't know if I introduced myself, but the other football fan with me is Henry. Or Westy, as we as we know him on the show. How are we doing, Westy? All right. Yeah, mate. Really good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Um, much change, much changed in your life since we we last spoke. Um, a, f- a couple of uni submissions. Um, yeah, hell of a lot of yeah. work, but feeling a lot better for it now. Yeah, you're getting there though, aren't you? You're nearly there now. Yeah, see the finish line. Yeah, good lad, good lad. Um, yeah, I'll, I'm good, mate. Thanks for asking. Good. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, well, I was at the um, the Conference League last night. Leicester versus PSV. Brilliant game. Sadly, no singing section this time, though. So the atmosphere was a little bit more, I'd say, diluted would be the word. But it was a good atmosphere still. I think it wasn't helped by the game. Obviously, 0-0. Got to see some of Europe's top talent on the show. Um, talking James Justin. No, no. We've got a Gakpo. Obviously, he's been linked with um, with Bayern Munich, I think I'm right in saying, yeah. playing on the left wing. Noni Madueke on the right wing. I mean, Madueke does look good. I mean, I've seen people, it's hard with him because, I mean, with both of them, Gakpo and him, there wasn't too much finishing like end products and there wasn't much end products throughout the whole game, to be honest, but they showed signs. It's just hard. You don't want to get too ahead of yourself, do you? Because no. he, he did a few nice runs, Madueke. But aside from that, it was pretty limited. Um, Mario Goetze played. Yeah. Obviously, World Cup winner. It's pretty crazy, really, the the career tra- trajectory he's had. Yeah. Um, I think he's struggled, doesn't he, with... Um, uh, he's got a certain illness, hasn't he, which has sort of hampered his career in terms mm, of his... Yeah. In terms of his weight gain and stuff. But um, no, he's, he's still playing at a very high level, of course. And yeah, and no, I'm sure he appreciates you saying that, mate. But yeah, so today <laughs> we're going to talk about the obviously the recent Champions League quarterfinals. We obviously had City. Patience was the key for City against Atletico. Liverpool avoided kind of a late revival from Benfica. Benzema, the man for Real Madrid once again. 
uh, obviously humbling the holders Chelsea and then Villarreal as well beating Bayern Munich uh, in the first leg. We're also going to talk about the Premier League action. Uh, we're going to talk about Everton and the demise of them. Arsenal and their loss to Crystal Palace. Another kind of it was a sobering result for Mikel Arteta's men. We're going to talk a little bit about Patrick Vieira and the, the effect he's got. Maybe compared to, to Frank Lampard. Um, and then we're going to talk about the title race. And also, at the end of the episode, we're going to get our who and why for both the top four winning the league. And relegation as well. So who's going to go down? Who's going to stay up? And we're going to get why from both of us. So we'll start with the Champions League West. Yeah. Manchester City showing patience against Atletico Madrid. Yeah. I think the game followed a pattern that we we probably expected. Simeone employing a, a two banks of five, um, in <laughs> essence, really. And then City. Yeah. I mean, it, it just kind of was ex- ex- went as expected, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought it was a professional performance from City. I mean, they had to work really hard because obviously Atletico make it so difficult for you to break them down. Um, mm. they, they almost made it sort of a, 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 a no contest, didn't they? It was sort of killed the game from the minute and that's what Atletico try and do away from home especially. But um, mm. I thought City did got their goal obviously eventually and they did well to see it out and they've got a good result to take away from home now. Yeah, and I think it's that, isn't it? The Champions League is you just got to get the result, yeah. and however you do it, you just got to get it over the line. And we've we talked about it a lot. Sporked. <laughs> we've talked about it a lot on the podcast about the the difference in what it takes to to succeed in the Champions League and succeed in the Premier League, which we know City are adept at doing. I want to talk about. I suppose we'll talk about Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I think I don't know. I mean. I might be kind of like misremembering, um, but do you think it's a he? He has a habit of kind of, kind of not turning up in the big games. Maybe um, I, I might be completely wrong in saying this, but also where I'm going is how important is a fit and firing Kevin De Bruyne for Manchester City in their run for the Champions League and and try to get over the line this time around. Yeah, I mean he's a. He's their best player. He's the most talented player in the squad. He can do stuff that no one else can in the in the league, really. Um, but I don't, I don't think you'd be too far off. I think they I think overall he's been obviously fantastic for City, and his level so high. But um, yeah, there has been times where in big games he hasn't necessarily hit the heights that everyone wants him to. But I think this season more than ever he's sort of come into the fore a bit and really taking mm. games by the scruff of the neck. I think if I remember the Manchester derby. I think Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool away in the league, obviously uh, the other night as well. Um, yeah, he's playing. He's played really well this season, more so in the bigger games than the than the less important ones for City. Yeah, yeah, and obviously Phil Foden as well coming on. He was the difference maker, yeah. and he has been so much this season. Uh, I think he just offers that that killer pass, doesn't he? And that bit of just takes just kind of speeds the game up a little bit and yeah. off. Yeah, but yeah, I think he just sometimes just. He just offers that, yeah, like I said, the killer pass and he really is the man for City. Um, mm. But another thing I wanted to go on to as well is this question that I've seen kind of put around, um, about, around Pep Guardiola and maybe his underachievement in the Champions League with City. I wondered if, the, if you thought there was any truth to the fact that people have been saying that Pep overthinks the Champions League. Now we see he does it in week in, week out in the Premier League where 
I mean, he says that he, he there's a new tactical approach and he off, focuses on each team differently. And I'm sure he does. There's kind of little nuances to his system. But in the, I don't know. It seems sometimes that the kind of what he has to face in the Premier League is quite similar. He knows that teams are going to sit in. Do you think there is any truth to this about him, him overthinking the Champions League maybe? And that might be why they've they've not got over the line. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the reason behind a lot of their exits in recent years. I mean, just look at the, the final last year, for example, against Chelsea, where obviously City were playing well coming into it. They had a, had a, had a style, had a, had a set sort of side that they were going with. And then... He, he chops up. He doesn't. He didn't play with Rodri or Fernandinho in midfield, did he? I think he went with Foden false nine then. But I think back then, last season, Foden wasn't really as accustomed to that false nine as he is now. Um, yeah. He's come on so much in recent months. But yeah, there is definitely truth to it. I think he'd probably admit that a lot of City's failings in the Champions League recently. So you talk about Chelsea, Leon the year before, where they really should have won that game and they were ahead in that game. Um, it's definitely comes from him. Obviously, the players have to take accountability as well. But Guardiola definitely is guilty of overthinking stuff. Um, but when you're someone who's got that amount of knowledge and tactical now and everything he's achieved in the game, you can't blame blame him for, for thinking he can uh, chop things mm. up. Yeah, yeah. And I think... I think he was saying in that uh, he kind of poked fun at it in the in his press conference, saying, "What was it? Twelve? I'm going to play twelve players or something." And I think he does overthink it, and I yeah. think he will admit that. And I think that is also why he's so successful because you don't get get to a level that he's got to without being the kind of guy, a meticulous guy that leaves no st- stone unturned. Talk- and yeah, I think you going to say something. I was. I can let you go, but I've got I've, I've heard a funny little story from last weekend in the Bundesliga re- regarding that 12th man. So, um, as this thing's TalkSport and uh, Kevin Hatchard came on, and he was saying that Freiburg had played Bayern Munich, and in the second half, Bayern Munich would... Kingsley Coman always played as number 29 for Bayern Munich until last summer where he changed to number 11. So, mm. they were bringing someone on, and they put up on the board... 29 to come off obviously no one's 29 for Bayern Munich and a player came on but no player came off and the referee didn't realise so <laughs> so apparently for around 5-10 minutes uh, Bayern were playing with 12 men against Freiburg until one of the sometimes I think it feels like they've got 12 men as exactly. well exactly how hard would it be with generally another man but um, <laughs> I just thought it was just a funny story and I mean it just yeah, exactly. Any other team, you probably wouldn't have noticed it too much, but Bayern Munich, God, I mean, yeah, it's just. No, I think they could they could play with ten men most of the time. Bayern Munich. Just looking into the second leg, how do you see this one going? Um, do you see maybe a comeback from Atletico? Do you see a change of approach from Simeone? I, I, I'd have I'd have hoped to see them be a bit more sort of adventurous and outgoing in the second leg. Obviously, they're in front of the home fans. There's going to be a certain level of expectation. I think you saw in the. Mm. In the first leg against Manchester United, even though Manchester City are, are a far greater opposition than United at the moment, they were a lot more sort of in your face in the first leg against United. Whereas at Old Trafford, they were they sort of sat in and really did what they did at the Etihad. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think we're going to see a bit of a different Atletico. But I I still think City have enough in, to get the job done. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. We'll move on to their title rivals, and we're going to talk about them in a different capacity later. But Liverpool. Uh, going 2-0 up in the first half with goals from Kanate and Mane. 
And then Darwin Nunes yep. brought uh, brought one back to half the deficit. I think I was impressed with Darwin Nunes. I know he's been a, another one that's attracting a lot of attention uh, across the continent. Obviously, ex Porto man Diaz finishing off the the night against his his, his rivals um, or former rivals, I should say. Klopp's side were ruthless in the early stages, um, but proved complacent in the second. Yeah. I think. Are we seen at the minute with with Liverpool? I mean, they obviously they won against uh, Watford at the weekend, and it wasn't a, a like a vintage Liverpool performance. I think Watford gave a good account of themselves. Do you think at the minute it's re- result first and performance second for Liverpool at the moment? Yeah, I think I think it's got to be in the position they're in with everything they've got to play for, especially the title race with City. It's it's so close, and obviously Sunday's game's huge. But it is all about getting three points every week. It doesn't really matter about performance. Where, whereas early on in the season, and I mean, if you look in January when City were fourteen points clear, I mean, who would have thought that that Liverpool would be would would claw that back? And I think Klopp will even be saying now it's it is all about just getting the result. Whether we play, whether it's a, an ugly game or we play our best football, it doesn't matter as long as we get them three points. That's all that matters. Mm. It's a sign of a champion, though, isn't it? Getting the results over the line yeah. and not playing playing particularly well. I tell you, someone who isn't playing very well at the moment is Mohamed Salah. Yeah. He's had a bit of a hangover from the disappointment at the African Cup of Nations. I don't know the exact stat, but he hasn't scored in a while, has he? No. Is this? It's just a bit of a reminder that he's human, maybe. Yes, but I mean the the level that he he was sort of displaying in the first six months of the season. It was incredible and everyone was obviously, there was talks of him being the best player on the planet and at the time I think he probably was and obviously he's had two big disappointments, obviously the the Africa Cup of Nations and going out to Senegal again, world, yeah. two penalty shootouts yeah. against his teammate as well and Mane's come into some form again so um, at least that's good mm. for Liverpool and obviously Diaz has come in and done really well, played well the other night so that's it's good for Klopp because even last year, the year before, I think if one of them was misfiring or injured, they didn't really have much there on the bench to sort of help them. And that's what someone like Luis Diaz has provided. It's provided a sort of safety net for when someone else isn't quite at the races. That's exactly it. And I think that was why I always thought that City were, were kind of in the ascendancy and the team to 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 give up the title. And they, they were, and they probably still are. But now Liverpool have got that. It's hard to see a, a weakness in their side. I mean, I know they've not got the depth that City have, but yeah, in attack now, what they've got, Jota, Diaz. I mean, they, I'd almost say Jota and Diaz should be starting now. I mean, I know the, the seniority of, of Salah and Mane gets them ahead of them in the in the team and yeah, what they've done for Klopp, he trusts them, but Diaz and Jota are so dangerous and the goals they get, they're so, yeah, it's vital, isn't it? Do you, and, think, do you think Klopp would have it in him to, to bench Salah on Sunday? No, I don't. I don't, and I don't think you can. I think everyone goes through poor patches of form, and I mean Mane as well. I don't think he's been particularly brilliant recently. I gotta be honest. I mean, I know no. he's getting the odd goal, but in terms of the player he has been, I don't think this season's been particularly amazing. I don't think he played particularly well at Afcon for Senegal when I seen him play. Um, I, obviously, I didn't see the World Cup qualifier, but they've got over the line, and he's obviously a vital for both club and country. Just his presence, but. I don't think you can drop Salah. I don't. I think, but again, you can't drop Mane either. And I don't think you should. 
Salah yeah. will come back into form. It just happens, doesn't it? I think he's probably just knackered, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's played a hell of a lot of games. Did he have... Was there anything on in the summer for him? Because obviously, I know we had the Euros, but was the, the, there wouldn't have been anything. He would have had a bit of time off. Maybe. No, yeah, he'd have had a good time off. And I think I think it showed, obviously, like we were talking about in the first yeah. four or five months of the season, he was absolutely electric and... True. single-handedly almost like sort of catapulting Liverpool to within touching distance of City up until about February and obviously it's gone but I'd, I'd expect a player of his quality and his mentality to sort of come up trumps in the final stages of the season and really help Liverpool achieve anything that they possibly can because it is all like you said the, the quadruple still on it pains me to say as a United fan <laughs> then on the other hand you've got City you've still got the treble on so it could turn out to be mm. the worst season as a Man United fan ever this they call it a double-edged sword I think and yeah I agree I agree with what you're saying um, we'll move on now as well to Real um, versus Chelsea obviously quite, it was a it was a humbling result for Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel yeah. Benzema the man again I mean we kind of gushed over over Benzema I think on the previous episode or maybe the one before last is there anything more you want to say on Benzema I mean he's just, just yeah. a player incredible performance the other night obviously that, that, I saw that stat it was 80 minutes the last 80 minutes of Champions League football six goals back to back hat trick ridiculous incredible I mean he has turned into Real Madrid's new new Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't he in a way like he's he is the here to that throne and who would have thought it at his age as well I think he's touching on 34 now um, but I think the, the team in general Real Madrid it's just it's just filled full of players like that I mean touching mid 30s Cruz, Casemiro, Modric and obviously they, they ran the midfield last night the other night against Jorginho, yeah. Kante I mean if any, you'd have thought any midfield maybe in, in world football would put up a good fight against them it would be people like Kante wouldn't it who've got the legs and well you had the Kante and Jorginho midfield exactly. the Euros winner and we all, all know about Kante as well and obviously they're the holders of the Champions League yeah. but I think with Real Madrid as well it's like it's goes for everyone it's you're only as good as like your performance say in the champions league or in these big in these big competitions and i think that's when you start to i mean it sounds such a simple thing to say but you only start to realize how good these teams are once they actually put it into practice i think last season i mean i don't watch loads of la liga but obviously i watched real madrid in the champions league and it was a disappointing campaign um and i think real madrid would admit that and I think we almost thought this team, the the free in midfield, I think we thought they maybe were past it. Um, yeah. And maybe we thought these glory days were, were behind them, but they're just showing that they're actually, well, now you look across the board and it's almost like you're seeing the light. Because yeah. you go through that team now, you've got Courtois in goal, a senior goalkeeper. You've got Alaba and, and Militao and this season really feels like a coming of age season for them and they've kind of stepped out of the shadows I mean I know Alaba's new isn't he um, but obviously Militao's really stepped up and then you've got Carver Howes obviously experienced right back you've got Verlan Mendy then you've obviously got that midfield that the, this speaks for themselves that free in midfield but even they have proved that they've got more miles left in them and then the, the attacking free I mean Vinicius and Benzema have been absolutely brilliant and they've kind of carried Real Madrid in attack. Yeah. And I know the right wing position has been maybe a bit of a problem a problem position for them. But I thought Valverde did pretty well there um, yeah. against Chelsea. Uh, yeah, I think for me now, I'd be 
because before it was Man City, Liverpool, and probably probably Bayern would have been my favourites, but Real Madrid. I mean, how can you argue with them now? Uh, they're definitely in the in the conversation, but they're just they're just so well rounded. Yeah, and we know that they're planning for the future as well, and they're doing it in a in a gradual way. It's not like a going to be a one big rebuild build like we've seen at Barcelona and so many other clubs. They've done it gradually, and they've they've really the people behind the scenes of Real Madrid have really kind of just shown how how good they are and how and just they, they obviously know what they're doing. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say, but they just do. They just know. They they saw this coming, didn't they? They yeah. knew that they were going to have to kind of gradually move into the to bridge the gap between the the new and well the old and the new. They've done it perfectly. What about Chelsea though? I mean, are they on course for maybe a poor end to the season? I think I said it to you earlier in the week that I think after that Brentford game at the weekend and just a capitulation against Brentford. I mean, I was round yours and we've seen the result. And I just wanted context. I was like, what's happened there? What yeah. has happened there? I thought, there's got to be a sending off here or something. No, just Chelsea just losing their head, basically. Do you reckon maybe it's the, the uncertainty off the pitch is now starting to, to seep through onto the pitch, maybe? Yeah, possibly. Um, well, I think one person that would be fairly pleased that Roman Abramovich is on his way out of Chelsea will be Thomas Tuchel, because if he wasn't, I think he could have could have faced a sack already by now. I mean, literally, it sounds yeah. ridiculous to say two or three games, but that's all it takes at Chelsea. If you're in the Champions League, and I mean, they're out the title race. If the Champions League, if, as soon as you lose a game like that, how often have we seen it at Chelsea where it's just so cutthroat? But There would be talk of it, wouldn't there? That's the ridiculous thing. Definitely would be talk, yeah. Um, and I think the manner of the performances as well have been really sort of alarming. It hasn't been as if they've been playing really well and They've been getting unlucky, getting done on the counter and stuff by the odd goal. They're losing heavily, and I think the obviously you you look at from at face value and three one to Real Madrid. Yeah, at home, not a great result, but then again, like you said, it's still Real Madrid, thirteen times Champions League winners. But I think when that comes off the back of a four one defeat at home to Brentford as well, seven goals in two games, mm. that's when alarm bells start to ring. And I don't know what's happened because I think. Everything we saw from Tuchel and Chelsea over the past year is everything's been built off a, a solid foundations in defence. I mean, they've looked rock solid. In, up until recent weeks, they've looked rock solid. But, but one of the best defences in Europe. And now they've just absolutely capitulated in defence every game they play. Is that, is that not due to the maybe the uncertainty around the players? And Possibly. Obviously, I think, was it Christensen, Thiago Silva and Rudiger uh, yeah. on, on Wednesday or Tuesday night? And we know Silva's going to be sticking around. Uh, well, well, I think we do. I think he's got uh, maybe extended his contract by a year. But obviously, Christensen's on his way out by the looks of things, and yeah. Rudiger as well. I think it looks that way as well. So it's going to happen. Yeah. It, it's, it, I think it, any Chelsea fan would have been naive to think that these players were going to give their absolute all. And I'm not saying it's a conscious decision that they've down tools, but maybe it is a subconscious thing. Yeah. I mean, just coming from a Leicester perspective. I was talking to my brother last night after the game and he thinks Tielemans has checked out. And I don't I think I don't think he would have made a conscious decision to kind of down tools, but maybe it is just something that happens. And that natural. when you know that you're not going to be there next next season and also they've not got much to play for now, have they, Chelsea? Let's be honest. No. I mean they're not in any of the cups, they've FA Cup. They're out of well, they are in the FA Cup. Semi-final. So they've got a fo- the semis, all right. So they've got an FA Cup to play for. But when you look at the other teams in there, 
can you I don't know and the form they're they're taking into this game these games are just yeah it, it's I think the mad thing for me is it's just the shift between Chelsea and Liverpool because I think going into the season if you were to put a team kind of on par with City and the team to challenge City it would have probably been Chelsea yeah and if you look to the depth of their squad and I think I know we've we had some shockers of predictions I mean I did anyway <laughs> and I mean yeah I think Chelsea <laughs> really ruined me to be honest I think che- five predictions. Chelsea and their number nine <laughs> yeah maybe um he, he who shall not be named um like we we can name him Lukaku and an absolute shocker, but just sticking with the point <laughs> I was making, yeah, I, I just it's crazy really the demise of Chelsea because we thought they had this this squad with just vast depth of players that that Tuchel could call upon, but now they've got Loftus Cheek coming on, I yeah, mean, he just looks so out of his depth, Mason Mount out of his depth, Romelu Lukaku, how many chances does he want? I think it's it's now a mental thing with Lukaku. Yeah. It actually is. It's got to him. The, the 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 noise off the pitch and the the people just basically poking fun at him and his ability. It's got to him. It seems like a similar case to Marcus Rashford at Manchester United when when there's so much talk about you and so much things going on about you in the media and stuff. You can tell it's just hampering hampering his performances. But um, I think, mm. like you just said there, Mason Mount as well. I mean, I don't know what's happened to him. Looks a shadow of the player he was in Euros in last season for Chelsea. I've uh, seen one of those highlight reels on Twitter, you know, where they just put like the funny music behind it. I saw one as well of Lukaku when he's sort of mid-air to head that ball where he should have scored. And, two, and Mount's at the front post next to him and it's like Mason Mount's still doing his hair whilst the ball's getting played into the box and he's pushing his hair back whilst running through. <laughs> God, he just yeah, doesn't help himself, does he? I mean, Kai Havertz is, is doing all the heavy lifting in attack at the minute with Chelsea. Yeah. I think he's the one positive for them and maybe someone that can lead them out of this, this dark period and someone they can attach their optimism to. I've been really impressed with Kai Havertz recently. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he's got the whole, he's got the makeup to be a brilliant player and a world-class forward. I don't really know what we'd call him. I wouldn't call him a false nine, really. Centre-forward, probably. I suppose you would. Yeah, centre-forward, yeah. Um, he's kind of the modern-day centre-forward, isn't he? This kind of hybrid players. I mean, the hybrid seems to be the word nowadays. Every manager expects you to play these hybrid roles. and Gagan-press. Di- <laughs> yeah, Gagan-press, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think anything you want to say on Havertz? Have you been impressive? No. I mean, he, he seems to step up in big games as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I mean, obviously the Champions League final last year, he sort of rounded off a fairly poor season with obviously one of the biggest moments of his career no matter what he goes on to do. And like you say, this season, I think if you're going into the season looking at people like Lukaku, all the expectation was on him. And I think that's probably helped Havertz in a way, maybe because have, uh, Lukaku came in with such big money. I know Havertz did as well. But yeah, there would have been so much expectation on Lukaku. So Havertz has just sort of been able to go in the background and do his work quietly. And I think he's become more accustomed to the Premier League. And I think, like you say, especially in the Champions League, it's when he really sort of shows his quality and I think no matter whether you sort of he's still a bit inconsistent and he's still obviously very Mm. young but I think when you're inconsistent at a young age but you're coming up with big moments in games like he does in the Champions League it's a real sign of a a top player he doesn't shirk responsibility as well does he no he's always yeah that like you said I agree like the big games is the real kind of true test of a player and I think if you're doing in 
I think his goal against against Chelsea. Um, I think his goal against Madrid. (laughs) I think his goal against Madrid. If you watch it again on the replay, I think it's a. It looks like just a header. Obviously, he's powered it in, but I think if you see David Alaba's boot smash him in the face, and that's one thing I've noticed about Havertz. He's not one of these players that rolls around. I mean, that looked like it hurt as well. And he just yeah. sort of like shook it off and then jogged off for a celebration. I thought that's what you obviously it seems such a simple thing for a footballer, but when you become so accustomed to some of the embarrassments we see in the game nowadays, I mean, I was just that, yeah. that really impressed me about that goal. And I, I think that's something you don't teach either, because for me, yeah, if I'm going up for a header and someone's got their boot there, my instinct would be to kind of cower. Um, don't know what that tells you about me. Most people, no, no, but I, no, I, I generally think you. Most people would. I, I wouldn't like. There's, I don't think that. I don't think you can teach that, and that is an instinctual thing, and it just shows that yeah, he's willing to put his neck on the line, and that's what I think. That's what makes a good number nine. It's just putting your head where it hurts, and because mm. I, I, I think that is why you don't see some players play number nine. I mean, how many players do you see? I mean, like Leicester, yeah, I don't want to always go back to Leicester, but obviously it is my reference point. But we always used to, like, sometimes you'd stick Damari Gray up front or, like, Luckman came on up front yesterday. And it's like, these you can't just mould someone into being a number nine. Like, you've either got the qualities or you haven't. Yeah. And some players just haven't got it. It is that, yeah. It's just having that bite, that, that kind of just, I don't know what you'd call it, just the, no fear, really, isn't it? No fear, yeah. But lastly, um, unless well, how do you see that second leg going? Do you think Chelsea have any way back into it? Um, I think the first goal will be massive in the game. Um, obviously, if yeah. Chelsea get it, they're right back in it. But I can't see Real Madrid not scoring at the Bernabeu. I mean, going no. off what happened against PSG and obviously Stamford Bridge the other night. If they're elite, if if they get one goal, the tie's over. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> Villarreal um, beat. Bayern Munich 1-0 obviously in their first leg yeah they couldn't could they they could they definitely could but um, I don't think they will yeah I, I think the, the the Allianz is a bit of a different it's, it's just a it's a place where teams just don't go and win games of football really ever but no I think I mean well, they went to Juventus obviously Juventus aren't on Bayern's level but they went to Juve in the last round and won 3-0 in the second leg which no one really expected but I think Unai Emre's just quietly done a, an unbelievable job at Villarreal. Obviously, for it's such a small town as well. I didn't even realise that until I saw a little feature on them before the game. How small the town was. It's just basically like a village, Villarreal, yeah. with a big stadium plonked in the middle of the village. And, Who was uh, the team you were telling me that only take players born from their town or something? Bill Bow. Bill Bow. They only sign players. True that only sign players who were born in the Basque region of Spain. Yeah. It's crazy that that is absolutely crazy. <laughs> anyway, sorry, completely off topic. Yeah, uh, no, just a little shout out to Unai Emery if you're listening, Unai. Yeah, um, don't, think, <laughs> don't think he will be. But, <laughs> um, good evening. No, good evening. <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah, I think that's just sent me yeah. completely off track. But yeah, Unai Emery doing yeah. a great job. Yeah, Villarreal. Yeah, we'll see what they can do. Fair play to them, and they're yeah. in the game. That's all you want, isn't it? Going into that second leg, anything can happen in second legs. It really can. Yeah. Although I do, I'd like to Dan Juma though. I mean, yeah, what I've a, heard you like him. Really good player, and I mean the way he stepped up from Championship football last season with Bournemouth to to straight into the Champions League and is running rings around teams like Bayern Munich. 
It's incredible. Was he doing well for Bournemouth? Yeah, he was a really well sought after player at Bournemouth, but mm. to to go straight into the level of the Champions League and obviously I, I I remember him against United in the group stages, absolutely tore United apart as well. I mean, it's not hard. Yeah, I remember you saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, well, there's not many. Yeah, there's not many players <laughs> that haven't torn you apart. Right, we'll talk about Premier League. Everton, I think, are the 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 top of priority in terms of what we need to talk about. Losing three two against Burnley uh, Wednesday night, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Obviously squandered the lead as well. They were two one up. I think they'd admit fortuitously two penalties. I think two questionable questionable penalties at that as well. I suppose we've just got to go straight in with is Frank Lampard's job on the line now? I mean, it is definitely on the line, but do you think it's time to part ways with him? I mean, it sounds crazy to say this early into his tenure, but mm. are we at that point? Uh, I think we are, yeah. And I think tomorrow's game is huge for Everton. And I think, it, depending on how that goes, I think that could be Lampard's last game. I mean, United at home, obviously. United, they are playing United, yeah, just to clarify. United aren't in any sort of form at the moment themselves, but I'd have hopes that they have enough to beat this Everton team. But I think it depends how it goes. If United go there and if it's a draw or United win 1-0, Lampard might be okay. But if it's there and if it gets ugly, which it can do at Goodison once the, the, the fans turn, if United go there and win by three or four, it could that could spell the end for Lampard, I think. And I, I he couldn't really have anyone else to... Obviously, there's a lot of people to blame at Everton. But I think... He should have known this. He should have waited until the summer till he took a job on. He, this has really set his managerial career back. He shouldn't have done this, should he? He really no, shouldn't. No, it's just naivety. It's and so I think naive. the maddest thing is when we see what the, the comments about um, or the rumours about the Palace job. So I think he was offered the Palace job and he basically kind of looked down on it, said it was too much of a job, it was too risky, it was like he didn't want a relegation battle. And then he goes to Everton. And it's just complete na- naivety. And I think it also just highlights how desperate he was to get back in and get back into the game. And I think football managers, they're clearly just addicted to it, aren't they? Yeah. Like it, It's clearly ad- an addiction and he just wanted to be back in the game. But yeah, I think going back to the fans as well, but and if obviously if they have a poor result against United at the weekend... But the fans don't really have a leg to stand on that, do they? And you can see it almost seems like a tactical decision by the board to let Lampard come in because the fans wanted him. So now the board just turn around to the fans and say, well, you had the man that you wanted. It didn't work out. Now you listen to us. And I just, we've spoke about it before on the podcast. And I'll say it again. Frank Lampard has got nothing on his resume to suggest he can can navigate Everton out of this situation. Nothing. He's got nothing on his CV to suggest that he could bring Everton up. He's a, In fact, he's got a, a mark on his CV that shows that he can't bring a team up. I mean, that Derby team, we look at the players they had and it didn't age well, that, that Derby job. No. Because if you look at the likes of the Mason Mounts, the Tamoris, those kind of players Harry that Wilson. he had at his disposal. Yeah. And that's the thing. He had the Tamoris and Mason Mounts, but aside from that, it was a, still a really strong yeah. championship team. Ashley Cole and, in, the, in their left back. Yeah. I think he has to go. I really do. If Everton want to stay up, I think he has to go. And I think someone like a Sam Allardyce has to come in. As crazy as it sounds. But someone along them lines, maybe not Sam Allardyce, but they need. They should have brought the a, a Roy Hodgson or someone in when they had the chance. Like Frank Lampard, he should have been 
if they were going to bring Frank Lampard in, it should have been after they'd stayed up. Yeah. Like, and I, I think Frank Lampard, I mean, if he does get the sack, where on earth does he go from here? Is that his management career in the bin? I'm just going to get Everton's fixtures up and see yeah. what yeah, we what what you can predict for for these next games. Let's do a little. Yeah, yeah. Let's see how they're well, going. Gonna... as well, we can to give a little bit of context. They were when Rafa Benitez was sacked. Everton were five points clear of relegation yeah. with two games in hand. They're now level on points with Burnley, and they've got no games in hand. So it just gives you an idea of the 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 decline since Rafa went and. And it's been a consistent and gradual decline, but it just seems to have steepened. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the the fixtures are in front of me. Um, I want to see what your thoughts are on how many points they, they get out of these. So starting with United at home tomorrow, what do you see there? I mean, it's it's impossible to say with United. It really is. And obviously... On paper, you know, it should be easing past Everton, but you just never know at the minute. And I mean, I don't know what the the remaining fixtures are like, but maybe that's one of their best chances of getting some points. But I can't see them winning, though. It goes United at home. Then Wednesday, it's Leicester City at home. And then they face Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Leicester City away, Watford away, Brentford at home. Palace at home and Arsenal away on the final day. It's a tough old, tough old run in that. So you've got, I mean, Palace and Brentford are, you wouldn't even say no. Palace-Brentford are their, their only game where you look at and could, go, even they could... Watford, like, Watford's in, a big one. Uh, they've got Watford as well, right? So, yeah. But, but Watford will be fighting for their lives and like you say, Brentford have come into some really good form recently. And you'd arguably that, say, if, Watford, if Brentford can go to... Stamford Bridge and put four past Chelsea and they can put at least double that past Everton <laughs> but that's this, that's the problem isn't it when I think if you start going this that whole games in hand thing and where you say like oh yeah we've got this amount of games left to do it but at this stage in the season there is no easy games no. especially it's such a there's there's competition in all parts of the of the of the table at the minute I mean the relegation is still not accounted for obviously top four people with the title race as well and there's teams fighting for their lives and, and Everton are very much in that conversation I mean who is at fault here uh, and does Lampard deserve sympathy Um, yeah I think there's a lot of people at fault I think obviously Farhad Mashiri has got to take a, the majority of the blame he's the one investing he's the one sort of picking these players at the signing and the managers uh, Bill Kenwright but I think as a whole, I think Everton, I think Everton are sort of, I think they're they're their fifth or sixth in the Premier League. It's the amount of money that they pay off in dividends to sort of people in the club and share. I mean, it's obviously we all know you, how United are ran, but I think Everton that, that if there's any club that rival Manchester United in terms of ownership, it's definitely Everton. Um, mm. They've just ran themselves no, into are. the ground. It's almost like this week. It's the the gross mismanagement derby. Yeah. I think they call it. Yeah, definitely. And Probably obviously they need to come up with something a little bit better that kind of rolls off the tongue a bit better. But Yeah. I mean, I quite liked it actually. Uh, the gross mismanagement, mismanagement matchup. Um, yeah. But no, Lampard, I think, yeah, obviously he deserves a little bit of sympathy, but at the end of the day, he's, 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 a, he's a big boy. I mean, he's, he's he's been in the game long enough and he, he's a big boy. He should have... <laughs> <laughs> he should have seen 
seen this coming. I think. I mean, I feel like he probably just went in there with a bit of bit of arrogance and a bit of naivety and thought, you know what, I'll be able to. I'm Frank Lampard. I'll get the respect to the dressing room immediately. These players are mm. good. These players are too good to go down, and I think that's what we all thought. Maybe three or four weeks ago, we thought this team is too good to go down. But now mm. you're seeing that they're really not. They really are a poor, poor football team with poor players in there. I think even people like Dominic Calvert Lewin. I mean, God knows what's happened to him. He looks like he he'd rather be, I don't know, maybe doing a doing a shoot for a magazine or something. Too many. Yeah, I was going to say too many fashion mags, mate. Too, too many hours on the phone to GQ. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a lot of Everton fans will be saying, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a, it's just a, a vicious cycle, what's going on at Everton at the minute. And I think the repetitive nature of the problem and then the, the consequent solution just kind of highlights that something needs to change. But now they're in this cycle it's, and it's, yeah. it's very hard to get out of it because what's happening is, is obviously the level of manager they can attract is gradually going down. The amount of money that these managers are being allowed to spend is gradually going down. And yeah, they're just paying the price for the the poor decisions that have been made within the football club for the last however yeah. many years. I mean, I thought if we look at some of the look at some of the the managers that they've had. I mean, we go through them like they Ronald Koeman. They've been like they've had managers that they wanted as well. Marco Silva, they spent months like after after Marco Silva, they got him. It didn't work. Carlo Ancelotti, I know, kind of steadied the ship a bit, but didn't leave any kind of lasting impact. Then you've got obviously who am I forgetting? Rafa Benitez, like, and now we're on to Frank Lampard I, as well. I think the last manager that sort of done anything of note was probably Roberto Martinez, wasn't it? Mm. And you look as well, like, that's where you look at and think, are managers the problem? Because you look at some of the jobs that these managers have gone on to. Martinez has gone on to the Belgium job. Uh, Koeman's gone on to manage Barcelona. I know it didn't go very well, but they obviously held him in some kind of regard to take him on. And I know he had kind of prior links to the club. And then, obviously, Carlo Ancelotti speaks for himself, the kind of manager that he is. Look at Rafa Benitez, some of the clubs that he's been at. Like, yeah, it's really difficult. I think obviously we'll move on soon. Well, to be fair, we do need to move on now, really. But I just wanted to know, really, just lastly, what level is Everton's squad when you look at it? Like, if you were to say at their peak, like the peak of their powers, what level is their squad? Like, where in the table should they be finishing? I'd say mid-table, tenth, yeah, ninth or tenth. But then again, I think if you if you look across the board, especially at the back, I mean, John Joe Kelly. Probably a championship footballer. Couldn't he didn't get in at Celtic. Went to Schalke in the in the Bundesliga. Didn't really get a sniff there. Uh, Mason Holgate not good enough. Uh, ben Godfrey had a good first season. Been very poor this season. He's been really disappointing. Ben Godfrey. I um, thought he looked a really good player before, but yeah. Mikelenko. I think that Mikelenko signing. I mean, the guy's a, he's a young lad. I've seen it's not him. He's come in there and he's doing his best. So you can't have a go at him. And obviously he's going for. A rough personal time anyway but I think that signing really just sums up Everton that the fact that Mikolenko was a player that Martinez wanted and wanted wanted a lot and they signed Mikolenko for, for Martinez and two days later sacked River no sacked Benitez, Benitez. sorry yeah. that, how does that just sums Everton up doesn't it just yeah no it does and but also how did they not sign well, they signed two number eights in the yeah. field one of them sits on the bench in Deli Alley Donny van der Beek, I think, has given a good account of himself. Um, 
It's but like, where was the where was the centre back brought in? Why 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 was that not seen as an uh, as a as a position exactly. that needed to be reinforced? They looked awful defensively, and awful. And, Luca and Dino. no disrespect to the championship, it is championship level, man. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Luca Dean as well. I mean, another example is just like the Mikelenko thing. They he fell out with Benitez. The club chose to back Benitez over Dinier. So when they went, Benitez asked the club to sell Dinier. They sold him six days later. They sacked Benitez. In- incredible. It's crazy. No, it is crazy. I mean, it's just, it's like they're trying to, it's like they're in a race with Manchester United to see who can self destruct. Mismanage the most. <laughs> yes, who can self destruct faster. Right, we'll talk briefly about Arsenal. Um, obviously losing to Crystal Palace uh, disappointing one for Arsenal and I'm sure one that you were, were happy with it, it is, I suppose the conversation really has to go to injuries and obviously Tierney's out for the rest of the season Partey's got a thigh injury I mean I don't know if we've had an update today but as of yesterday there was it was unknown when he was going to come back Tommy Asu's meant to be returning soon is it, is it a lack of depth that's costing them and do you think it will cost them these injuries um, I think yeah, I think they're they're really two important positions because I think you look at Tavares again took off at half time the other day. Uh, he's just doesn't seems like he's got a bit of talent, but he doesn't seem quite. He seems very raw, not quite up to the the Premier League physicality and the and the the, the pace of the pace of the league yet. And then he needs time. I just don't think he's ready yet. And I then just, you, I think he has got ability. And then you've got Sambi Lukonga. Um, who will probably come in and replace Party whilst he's injured, and again another player who's got ability certainly, um, but he's still not quite accustomed to the league yet. And this is going to be the the, the time of the season where everything's so important for Arsenal. And yeah, I just, I, I just, I do feel like Arsenal probably got a little bit ahead of themselves. I mean, I think. Well, if if you look across the team though, as well, I mean, then obviously everyone knows they're an inexperienced side. But I think if you were looking at some seniority on that pitch, it probably would be Tierney and Partey as well, which is, uh, aside from their kind of playing ability, we know yeah. how brilliant they've been, both Tierney at left-back and Partey's been a revolution at centre-back, at centre-midfield. I know it took him a little bit of time, but this season he's been central to Arsenal's success. But yeah, like I said, like what they offer goes far further than that, doesn't it? And they are their ability is, is, is almost the impact they have on the rest of the players. And... Yeah, it's going to be really costly, I think. Um, but I think they've definitely they put themselves in good stead. Like they can definitely still get top four. Obviously, they can still get top four. But <laughs> I, I want to Arsenal to get top four. Um, I, yes. I really do. I like Arsenal. I always have. I think they're a good side. Um, I like. I've always just liked the way they play. Um, well, out of the Champions League yeah. for the last six years. Yeah, but maybe not recently. But before <laughs> growing up, growing up, I always kind of had a. A soft spot for Arsenal. Yeah. There, there I said it, mate. I said it. Um, Vile. How, okay, and here's another question for you. How much of a disappointment would fifth be for Arsenal? And I know it's, it's still a massive improvement for Arsenal going off their previous seasons, but would it be seen as a failure? Um, yeah, in the short. Uh, I think when you get in the position that they've been in, uh, obviously they, they had, what, three games in hand on both United and Tottenham a couple of weeks ago and obviously it's just down to one game in hand now and obviously they're still in a fairly strong position I wouldn't say fairly strong I think Tottenham probably looked the strongest position in terms of a spot for the top four now but it would be a failure because like you say it's a, it's the same old thing with sort of a bit like Leicester isn't it I mean 
Leicester, if the last previous two seasons before this, if you'd offered them a, a finish, fifth place both both seasons, you'd have absolutely snapped the hand off. You would, wouldn't you, as a Leicester fan? That's an unbelievable finish for Leicester. Obviously, and brother, I, I'm not. I'll be honest, I'm not one of these fans that I don't really agree with. I know it's it's obviously really frustrating not getting Champions League, but I don't agree with people saying it's a failure. I really don't. Um, but anyway, I mean that's an argument. So, for so another it's day. an argument for another day. But yeah, I think there it definitely is an element of when you spend time in the top four and you've got a sort of bit of an advantage. And as say, there's ten games to go. I think if you end up not falling out of the top four, so I think it it can be seen as a as a bit of a failure for Arsenal. But like you say, even if they do finish fifth. It will be very disappointing but it's still um, a few steps forward for Arsenal rather than steps back yeah that's the most important thing as well and yeah I, I just think it's obviously a, it depends what angle you look at it at in terms of if it's a failure or not, or not and it is that thing of once you get offered something and you feel like you've got you have something in your hands and it gets taken away from you then all of a sudden it does feel like a failure and, and maybe that will be the case um we were going to talk about, well, I suppose we could talk, we'll, yeah, we'll talk briefly about Patrick Vieira. I mean, because I, I never like talking about a game like that and not talk about the team that actually won the game. Because I think Crystal Palace are absolutely brilliant. And some of their defensive performances this season have been some of the best defensive performances I've seen this season. And they've got, their, again, hybrid system. They, they, they play like a 4-4-2 where... Conor Gallagher is almost like a second striker sometimes, and then they also can shift into a, a four-five-one when the, like it went really sat, sat back and playing compactly, where Conor Gallagher drops in and he is central to their system. Conor Gallagher and he's kind of he, he's so versatile; he can do everything. His defensive work's just as good as his attacking work. Why has it gone so right for Vieira? I suppose that's the question because when we compare him to to Lampard, and I know. Well, the only comparison is that they're both legends in their own right. It's worked for one of them. It hasn't worked for the other. Why has it worked for, for Patrick Vieira? Um, From your point of view, I know it's a, it's a big question, but... Well, it, it could be uh, a case as simple as Vieira's well, further equipped to be a good manager. Some people are, yeah. are just equipped for it. But I think, as well, if you look at what Vieira's done, he's... he's finished as a as a player and he spent the last 10 years really sort of studying the game and mm. he went to Manchester City for a few years worked with the youth teams worked with the 23s where obviously you're working in the environment at City I mean the obviously Guardiola was there at the same time I think for a little bit you're going to learn lots there he went over to New York City and did a couple of years over there and did well and he's been to France and Ligue 1 for two or three seasons and applied his trade there so it's not like I think Lampard. It's sort of a bit where his name sort of chucked him into these jobs without any real sort of reference point for for him. For him. But yeah, with Vieira, you can tell he's gone away and he's he's not chucked himself into jobs he's not capable of. He's not gone straight into oh I want to be the Arsenal job. Hands up here because he could have done that before Arteta got yeah, the job. He could have. He could have. But yeah. you know he probably sees that as a job for himself further down the line. Without a doubt, he's an Arsenal legend. But he's mm. gone away and he's worked hard and he's studied the game and I think you're seeing the rewards now for himself by the way he sort of got and he's getting obviously immediately gained respect Patrick Vieira just that he's a man mountain he's someone that as soon as you walk he walks into a room everyone knows it without him talking you know but mm. I, it's just incredible I think what he's done with Palace 
Yeah, I, I think that's a brilliant point. He's kind of worked in the shadows, hasn't he? And that, again, that just highlights naivety for me from Lampard. I mean, it, it, I mean, the more you speak about it, the worse Lampard comes off. Because yeah. <laughs> why hasn't he done that? Going into any line of work, and you can't tell me that just playing football puts you in good stead to be a manager. I don't agree with that for one, one minute. We've seen it time and time again. It just doesn't correlate and it doesn't... Tr- like it's not an automatic thing that you're a good player, therefore you're a good manager. It just does not work like that. And yeah, I think I completely agree. It's obvious. He's gone out and he's got his work experience, hasn't he? Yeah. He's learned under people. Yeah, I think... I, I also think there's obviously an air of kind of a circumstantial part to it where he has gone into a, obviously a good team and a team that kind of lay dormant for a few seasons and then great recruitments also helped him. But it, those things all have to be brought together, don't they? And it's not as simple as just having great recruitment and it all just coming together for you and just being in the right place at the right time. He's definitely, he's done the right things to, to put it all in place. And Palace as well, they're a team that obviously just thrive off momentum. And I know every team does to a certain extent, but when they get their fans back on board, they really do become a force to be reckoned with. And I think the the fans had kind of grown tired of, of the recent seasons under Hodgson and they weren't really going anywhere, were they? They weren't yeah. really at any threat of going down and they weren't ever going any further up the table. So, yeah, it was that mediocrity, wasn't it? And I think now with the fans back on side, a, a rock in Selhurst Park, there's not really much like it. It's an absolute, absolute fortress, proper, okay. proper English football ground. Right. Okay, we're going to finish the episode on the... Well, actually, we're going to have to talk briefly about um, Eric Ten Hag as well. Let's just get your your brief thoughts. Obviously, I imagine you're buzzing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a guy that I, I wanted. Um, nothing against Maurizio Pochettino, because I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm one of these Man United fans that sits down at the weekend and watches AZ Alkmaar against Ajax. I don't. I've seen him in the mm. Champions League the way they play and obviously you hear so many good things about Ten Hag and the sort of coach he is and I think the way I'm really happy because I think if if United had bought in Ralph Ranić which they have and and they've saying all this stuff out they're going to give him the trust and let him have a say on the manager and well we wanted people to to, to see that happen didn't we and it was what United fans wanted and if they'd gone for Pochettino, the United fans would have kicked off the other way and said they're not listening to Ranić, they're, they're going against what other people think, they're listening to legends still. And I think this is a big step forward, not just in terms of the quality of the manager that's going to be coming in, but I think it shows there's a sign of us sort of stepping away from that era of sort of just listening to people like Alex Ferguson and the ex-players, because I think we all knew that they were pro-Pochettino. But in, mm. in terms of the appointment itself, I'm just excited to to see what he can do with the team. Obviously, it's going to be a huge job and I'm not expecting any wonders to be done. I don't expect us to be winning the Premier League next season or even competing for it. I'm just looking forward to sort of getting behind a manager and I think we all need to as United fans. We can't, if, if we've not got a trophy in two years' time, we cannot get him out because we're never going to get out of his position we're in. This has got to be mm. a five, six, seven year project for Ten Hag and I'm 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 really happy about it. Yeah, I think it is. It's just about tempering your expectations, isn't it? And yeah. and just realizing that it is going to be a slow process. And I think the the appointment of Ten Hag with the the kind of the overall fan backing of it 
will give him more time to do that, hopefully anyway. And yeah, it's going to be a while. It really is. I don't I, I don't think he can come in and there'll be a quick fix because I think at the start of this season, we did think, oh yeah, maybe a defense, they're a defensive midfielder away from being that team. But we've realised this season that there's a lot more that needs to be done than just that. And maybe certain players will will, will have somewhat of a re- revival under Ter- Eric Tan Hag. We'll see. I'm sure there'll be other some players that do better than others. I think a certain Dutchman that we spoke about earlier in the episode will be very happy and all of a sudden sees his Manchester United career kind of come um, yeah come back to life, um, yeah. so to speak. Um, yeah, I, I think from a from a kind of neutral point of view, from an outsider's perspective, I think. For me, it's just what it's symbolic of, and the the this, the the appointment of Ten Hag is just symbolic of moving forward, moving away from the mistakes you've made previously. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm like you. I've seen him in the Champions League. Everything I've seen of him, everything I've heard of him, um, kind of is positive, and I'm just interested to see how he can do. Yeah, let's let's see. I mean, there's. I think that's it. It's kind of you don't want to talk about it too much because we don't know. We we don't know. He might come in and love the players that have been doing poorly this season and get the most out of them. He might bring in some kind of weird signings. I mean, hopefully now your your transfer policy hopes a bit for your sake anyway, because I think you'd like to see United maybe sign in a few players that are maybe kind of out of the ordinary, maybe don't carry the kind of profile of some of the players that you've targeted recently. And yeah, yeah think outside the box. And I think that's what United are doing. Yeah. Right, okay, we're going to finish the episode and we'll we'll see how this goes. We haven't pre- prepared this. I think it will be better for it being off the cuff. So I'm going to ask you, so we're going to go, The we'll start with the relegation and then so we're going to say the three teams to go down yeah, and, and maybe why a team are going to stay up, the team that you think are going to stay up. Then we're going to go top four, Who we're going to, who's going to get top four and we're going to go the title and who's going to win the title and briefly, just why, just short, okay? So who's in contention? Is so who are we saying is in contention for relegation? So we've got probably Leeds, Everton, obviously Burnley, and I suppose it's up to you whether you think Norwich and Watford are, are down and out. Are we missing anyone there? It's just is it them five teams? No. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, so just just for a little bit of information, so we're gonna go for your relegation teams. So at the minute, Norwich is on eighteen points. Watford on 22 points and they've played 30 games. Then we've got Burnley in 18th on 29 points. Uh, 29, 24 points with 29 games played. Everton 17th, 29 games played. One point ahead. I thought they were level on points. One point ahead. And then Leeds are actually, have got a nice little cushion now. They're 30 points, so I can't see Leeds going down. So I suppose it's between Everton and Burnley. Westy, in short, who's going down? Who's staying up and why? Norwich, Watford already sadly condemns relegation. Um, and Everton will be joining them. Um, with Burnley finishing just above them. Uh, the reason for that is Burnley have just been there before. They've done it before. I think Wednesday showed the difference between the two sides in terms of just the know-how, the now. Everton have never, they would never even imagine themselves being in this position at the start of the season. So they've not, they don't know how to prepare for it. Lampard, like you said, isn't prepared for it at all. Never been in anything like this before. And yeah, it's just, you just trust Sean Dyche, don't you, to do the job. And obviously, if you look at, I think Burnley as well, I think they go to Norwich at the weekend and that's a really good opportunity to, if because if United go and beat Everton and 
then it goes to four points. It, with with Everton's run of games, I think that it could be curtains for Everton, even after this weekend, you know. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I've got to agree with you. I know it's boring, but I've got to agree. I can't see anything other than Everton going down in terms of their fixtures. I mean, that's be, I mean this, the saving grace could be if they sack Frank Lampard and bring someone in and somehow go on some, some crazy run. Uh, I think, yeah, I think Watford and Norwich, I mean, Watford have been improved recently. So I wouldn't count Watford out, to be honest, in terms of having maybe a late uh, resurgence and and kind of making it a little bit tasty come the end of the season. But they have got a game, um, the, the Everton and Burnley have got a game in hand on Watford. I'm going to go, yeah, Everton to go down. I mean, I think it's crazy to say, and I, I'm really worried for Everton fans. I think it almost feels almost like a Sunderland yeah, that's what it feels like—a a team of Everton size to go down. I mean, it, it it just seems crazy to say, but the players they've got—I mean, yeah, Everton are going down. Right, divided opinions made their call. Right, we'll move on now to the top four. So, in contention for top four, we've got honourable mention Wolves on forty-nine points. We've got Manchester United in seventh, fifty-one points. One game less played than, than Wolves and West Ham ahead of them, with West Ham on 51 points. Then Arsenal in fifth on 54 points. 29 games played. And then Spurs have played a game more with 30. And they've got 54 points, a so level on points of Arsenal. I'll go first this time. I wouldn't put it past Chelsea to get sucked down the table. They're only five points clear of Tottenham and Arsenal at the minute in third. I think it's unlikely that they won't get top four. I think I think they should do it. They should be all right, Chelsea fans. For me, though, I'm actually going to go Spurs. Um, I think they've looked really strong under Antonio Conte recently. They've managed to find that consistency that kind of um, bereft them um, early in his in his tenure. It seemed like it was one win, one loss uh, before with Tottenham. But yeah, they've just they've they've found something. Defensively, they look stronger. There's obviously work that needs to be done. Midfield have been really impressive. Ben Tanker and what he's, his his kind of double pivot alongside Hoiberg. I also love Kulisevsky. I think he's absolutely brilliant. 21 years old. He's gone so under the radar, I think. I mean, I know people are talking about how good of a signing he's been. But that's in the short term, he's been brilliant. But a 21-year-old. Kulisevsky coming in I mean he's got such a future in the Premier League and yeah I think Spurs are going to get top four Westy oh yeah sorry get everyone a bit of a Gary Neville bit there Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go for a wild card I'm going to go for Manchester United wow all right (laughs) rationalize that for us please there I said it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I I do fancy Spurs to be honest but I've just got a sneaky feeling there's something about Arsenal and Tottenham that we all know about and obviously there's a lot of things about Man United that we all know about as well but <laughs> but I just feel like when there's a player when we've still got to play Arsenal which is going to be a huge game at the Emirates in a couple of weeks um and obviously, we've still got Cristiano Ronaldo in the squad. So right. So anything further than that? <laughs> Why are you going to get top four? I mean, that is this is one of the craziest shouts I've ever heard. It, it, fairly crazy, yeah. But I think you 
we'll come back and we'll probably see it, it happens. I just think right. I've got a feeling it's a hunch, and I always trust my hunch. Just out of interest, what are your fixtures looking like? I will get them up for you now. Uh, there's a few, couple of tough ones in there still. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe me. I, can't, I cannot believe this. This isn't pre-planned, by the way, guys. I mean, it would be brilliant if we okay. pre-planned it. So we go Everton tomorrow. Then the next game is Norwich at Old Trafford. Uh, then we go to Liverpool at Anfield. And then straight right. up, straight after that, we go to the Emirates. Yeah. And then Brentford at home, Brighton away, Chelsea at home, and then we finish with Palace away on the final day. See, you've got a really tricky run of games as well. Yeah. So it's a it's a very left field shout that from you. Um, definitely no bias involved. Wolves and West Ham not deserve a shout, no. Um, uh, no. No. I think right. I think obviously yeah. West Ham. I think West Ham have got are going to have to put all their eggs in the Europa League basket to get Champions League, and that would be the sensible decision. There's no point chasing something that's probably not going to happen in the Premier League. Mm, true, true. Right. So you heard it here first. Westy thinks Manchester United are going to get top four. Just let that simmer for a little bit. Yeah. We'll move on now to Manchester City and Liverpool in the title race. As it stands, 30 games played each. 73 points to Manchester City. One point less with Liverpool, 72. Mm. So Liverpool are on 72, sorry. Worded that a little bit weirdly. It seems crazy to say, if I'm honest. I mean, we can go back to an earlier episode. And I thought it was just out of the question. Liverpool cannot get this back. What was it, 13 points or something 14. like that? 14 in January, yeah. So, Westy, who are going to win the league? Liverpool. Why? I think they, I think they have the momentum. Obviously, City right. are playing well as well, but I just think Liverpool, the the run that are on in the Premier League, and I just think you no, know, the the Anfield crowd in in these final runnings, it's going to have a bit of an edge more than what the Etihad will give the Manchester City players. Obviously. Sunday's game can completely write my prediction off. If City go and win and it's four points, it's going to be tough with with City. You've got a fairly good running running as well. But I don't know. Do you I'd... think we're literally by making your prediction for Sunday's game is predicting who wins the title? Yeah, I think Sunday's game yeah. is is literally as close to a title decider as we've ever seen. Arguably, just like the the one a few years know when the Sane goal and the 2-1 that really high sort of level mm. game we had a couple of seasons back um, but yeah I think Sunday's a tight decider but I, I've just got a feeling it's just Liverpool I think it's sort of written in the stars for them to go on and win the title now know when they've come from so far behind I mean I don't know I don't know about you I just think it, it seems like Liverpool are going to tip them right at the end yeah I mean I was I was in the shower before this episode, Brilliant. racking my brain. Who's going to win this title? It's so hard to call. And like you said, it's just it's so big. You're pretty much just predicting the game at the weekend. And it's so hard to call. It's at the Etihad, isn't it, at the weekend? Yeah. Everything... I just, the, 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 I'm going to go for Liverpool as well. I am. Um, I just think they're ruthless. They're the like we said earlier in the episodes, the the backup brigade have risen to the level. They've got goal scorers in their team. I think City lack goal scorers at times. Um, in the big games when they need a goal, we've seen it in that Palace game. It can happen. Teams can 
hold out and and stop City from scoring. Yeah. I also think the underdog mentality is huge as well for Liverpool. And they will have that up until the end of the season. Even if they win at the, we- at the weekend, there will still be a feeling of this was City's title to lose. And it was. We can't argue with that. I mean, the, how far ahead they were and it will be seen as a huge disappointment. And to be, Well, to be honest, I mean, I know everyone will say if, if Liverpool win the league, it will be looked upon as City bottling it and a capitulation from City. But I don't think it's, it's necessary can be looked upon as that way. I mean, it... it I don't think it is Liverpool. No, I don't think it's City being bad. I think it's just how good Liverpool have been. Yeah, and I, I just, uh, I also think that it could go either way. I really do, and I think that's what makes it so exciting. And we say it every year we're like we're going to have this title race, and it never quite happens. One team by this time of the season, a team's kind of got For, a little bit of leeway. Yeah, kind of got they're at arm's length maybe. But now we have it. We've got this title race and we've just got to enjoy it because every game now until the end of the season, whether they're playing against each other, whether they're playing against a relegation battle inside or a mid-table team, every team's going to want to be that team that, that spoils the party for, for even Manchester City and Liverpool. It's one for the ages, isn't it? It's been a it's been a very enjoyable season, I think, in terms of the competitive nature of the season. Maybe not from me, neither me or you have had pretty domestically. They've been pretty poor seasons for you domestically and in Europe. Um, but yeah, what a season in terms of the. And we've still got eight games to go. We've still got eight games to go, but it's just been so competitive across the board, and the relative quality has just been so high, so high. Yeah. Is there any more you'd like to add, Westy? No. Good mate. Brilliant episode. Another episode in the books. Yeah. If you guys enjoyed the episode, make sure to follow the podcast. Turn on your notifications as well if you want to know when a new episode's out. If you want to see daily content, check us out on Instagram at Divided Opinion. We post daily articles from myself and Westy. And we've also brought on some some new uh, contributors recently. So shout out to Ning and shout out to Femi as well, the new contributors and we're starting to expand the team now, the Divided Opinion team. Um, yeah, thanks for joining me, Wes. Brilliant episode. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. Really enjoyed it. Nice one. All right, guys. Well, um, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. We're not sure when the next episode's going to be. I might just be fair. I imagine we will do one next season just to kind of... Next season? I'd hope so. Next season. Next week. <laughs> next season. Um, we'll do one next week uh, to digest the, the Manchester City-Liverpool game and just see where we're at because, yeah... Wow, what a season, what an end to the season we've got ahead of us. Yeah, thanks for joining us, guys, and we'll speak to you soon.